Would you please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4? Philippians chapter 4. And I would like you to stand if you can. It's a great joy to see Annette with us. Be welcome back. <laughs> it's so wonderful to see you. What a joy. Ah. Starting verse 1, chapter 4. Therefore, my beloved brothers, whom I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I exhort Yodia and I exhort Syntyche to Fronel, to have the same mindset, the same pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting in the Lord. Oh yes, I ask you also, true companion, help, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow soldiers, my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Please be seated. Father, we, as Dan said, we come here as beggars, longing to be fed. We ask you to open our eyes so we can behold beautiful, beautiful things out of your Torah, your instruction. May your Holy Spirit be working within us, through us. Help me to be faithful. Help the, the congregation to be faithful. Lord, we pray for other churches throughout the whole world. That your name would be exalted. That your kingdom would come. In Jesus' beautiful, majestic, and powerful name. Amen. We have become a disposable society. And uh, everything we throw into the garbage. It said that the, in the U.S., landfills are filled with 139, over 139 million tons of waste. That's a lot of garbage. If something is broken, we just do what? Throw it away. That's the simple and easy way to do. Sometimes it's even cheaper than fixing. Think about modern appliances. How they are supposed to last less than older appliances. So, dishwashers, refrigerators, have a great amount of this sort of things being thrown into the garbage. It's said that we throw... We throw away more furniture in this country than there is furniture in most countries. And what's sad is that so many people see relationships among Christians as a disposable good. Something that if it's not working the way I like, I just throw into the garbage and go find something else, another person. But the problem is that the Bible never describes the church as appliances. 
the church is described as the family, the household of God. The church is described as the army of the Lord. And one of the most beautiful, most powerful imageries or metaphors for the church is the body. The body of Christ. So, for example, Paul says, listen to this, that's so beautiful and powerful. He says, put on as a garment, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here's what we need to dress up with. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you all also must forgive. And above all this, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace, the shalom of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in what? One body. And be thankful. When a bone, when you break a bone, you don't talk. We were talking last night with the family and we were reminded that Lily broke her wrist. And when she broke her wrist, we just didn't chop it off and threw into the garbage that wrist. What do you do when a broken is bone, when a, bo- a bone is broken? We fix it. We fix it. And that's what's so crucial to understand the metaphor of a body and the relationships as ligaments and muscles and bones that the Lord put together. Yes, excommunication is a picture of what? Cutting a member off. But that's a rare thing in the body of Christ. That's very rare. But the picture is is that part of the body is a gangrene, is a cancer that you need to remove because of lack of repentance, of disobedience towards the Lord. But that's rare in the body of Christ. Most, 90% of the time or more, we need to fix, just like a bone that's broken, just like a muscle that was... We had a tear in your muscle. You, you need the whole body to fix that. And that's what Paul is doing here. He, he as a physician... He's placing his hands upon a broken bone in that church, in that body. And he knows that the quicker the fracture is fixed, the better will be for the rest of the body. Some of you probably have had a broken bone. And some of you had a broken bone and you never fix. And that thing aggravates, gets worse and worse. And suddenly your whole body is being affected by that broken bone. And if we truly believe that the Lord has knitted us together, He has placed us together, just like in a body, then what we will do when we have a fracture in our relationship? We're going to fix it. We're going to work it out to fix that fracture. And the Lord will, in His sovereignty, in His mercy, He will bring fractures, broken bones in this church in order to reveal what's in our hearts. So, it, as I said last Lord's Day, it will come. There will be fractures. And the question is, what, uh, 
What will I do when the fracture takes place? Will I simply throw into the garbage and go and start jumping from church to church? Or will I fix that broken relationship? That broken bone? And that's what Paul is teaching us here. You don't throw into the garbage. We fix as a church. So, I'm not going to spend time giving you the context because we have been walking. I already introduced chapter 4. So, here's the outline. First, the needs for church reconciliation. That's verse 2. And then the need for church mediation. So, the need for church reconciliation and the need for church mediation. That's verse 3. So, briefly, just review last Lord's Day. We saw verse 2. Paul says, I exhort... I exhort Iodia and I exhort Syntyche to have the same pattern of thinking, feeling, and acting in the Lord. And we saw the objects of his exhortation. There are two women in the church. Two faithful, godly women in the church. We saw the reason for the exhortation. We don't know the specifics. We don't know exactly what took place in that relationship. But we know that there is a fracture. Something is broken there. And it's harming the, the unity and the harmony of the body. And then we saw the nature of the exhortation. Paul wants these two ladies, these two sisters to have the same pattern of thinking that Jesus had. And we saw that in chapter 2. Of humbling himself. Placing others above ourselves. Not looking to our own interests, but the interests of others. So that's the pattern of thinking that Paul is asking. And you see that there is no space here for separation. In Paul's mind, with this case here, with this situation, there is no separation. I, I beseech Iodia, go, go somewhere else. Go to another church. I beseech Sintiki, please find another church because... No, 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 no. In this case here, Paul is saying, I, have, I will give no space for separation. There is a holy obligation of reconciliation between the two of you. Verse 3. So he says, look at how he changed. There is a shift here. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So there is a shift. Paul moves from exhorting the two sisters in the church now to exhort the whole church. And that's important. Because you see, reconciliation, fixing relationship in the church... Many times, it's a whole church enterprise. Just like in our homes. Sometimes we have siblings that are having a hard time and we need everybody to get together and let's talk, let's pray, let's help each other here. And the same in the household of God. We all need help from our, our brothers and sisters. And that's why Paul so quickly moves from exhorting the two they are having the problem now to exhort the whole church. You see, he says, he opens that, he, he shifts, he says, yes, in Greek is nigh, it's an interjection, it's to show his emotions. Yes, and I ask you, and this ask here is very urgent, 
It's like begging, imploring. So when a, a, a mother has a, a sick baby, a baby that's dying, she brings you someone who has the power to heal. Please help me. That's the idea that Paul is expressing here. His deep desire to see these two sisters reconciled, a sense of urgency. And then he says, my true companion, that's the ESV, the true companion, the King James has true yoke fellow. And the Greek word here is a beautiful expression. It's a military term used for comrade, yoke fellow, a close soldier that will fight with you side by side in battle. They're put together, these soldiers, and they would be fighting side by side. So you had your true companion, one who would be with you, helping you with your armor, making sure that you are ready for battle. That's the word that Paul uses here. And what's fascinating is the imagination of scholars to decide who the true companion is. So, the ideas are vast. Some think that's Paul's wife. That's all. I'm not kidding. Some scholars, here's what they think. That's Paul's wife. Some think that's Lydia. And then some put the two together and says that Paul's wife was Lydia. Others say that's the husband or brother of Yodi or Syntyche. It starts getting better. Some say it's Epaphroditus. Uh, some faithful scholars believe it was Luke because it seems that he stayed in Philippi for a while. Others think that's Timothy, one of the elders. Others say that it was the chief bishop of Philippi. Uh, others, like John MacArthur, believe there was a man named Suzuge. That's the Greek word for uh, yoke fellow. So, for example, scholars, uh, John MacArthur is one of them. He thinks that the Greek word Suzuge actually is his, his real name. And could be, the problem is we don't have any evidence of this word being used as a proper name. In any, in any, we might find in the future, but for now, we don't have any evidence that there was a proper name. Others think there was a teaching elder of the church. I agree with Hawthorne when he says, the simplest and perhaps best answer is to say that Paul sees the entire Philippian church as a unit, as a single individual who shares with him the burden of his apostolic work. And he so addresses them. He sees the Philippian church yoked together with him as two oxen teamed up to accomplish an important task. So, I see and I agree that's the whole church he's calling to help them. Another scholar, Moisés Silva, similar, he says, the striking emphasis on this letter on corporate responsibility reaches a dramatic high point in the exhortation of verse 3. The discord between Yodia and Syntyche cannot be viewed by the congregation as a personal matter. These courageous women whose names were written in the book of life, they needed the assistance of the whole church to resolve their differences. Brothers and sisters must not, must not avoid intervening in the dispute simply because they are afraid of meddling. 
Though Paul in his letter, in this letter, does not use the figure of the body with reference to the church, one would be hard-pressed to find a more striking illustration of the principle than the request of Philippians 4.3. Brothers and sisters, we have the freedom to disagree here. We don't need to agree in the Lord as to who is the, the, this companion, true companion. I, after studying much, I, I think it's the whole church that Paul is asking. And I think that because you read Paul's letters... And there is a great emphasis on calling the whole church to help members with their problems. The one another's. It's always calling the whole church to help the brothers and sisters. And it's very sinfully natural for us to take sides when there is a conflict. And I say simply because we don't check to see, we don't ask both sides. We simply take sides with the people whom we like the most. So as soon as there is a friction, there is a fracture in a relationship, our sinful disposition is, I suppose there is something between Jesse and Ken. I keep talking about Jesse because he sits right here. Uh, let me change. Let me change. <laughs> People say you have something against Jesse. All right, Nestor, Nestor and Ruth. Let's suppose something took place between Nestor and Ruth. And there is the, those who are closer to Nestor. There are those who are closer to Ruth. And as soon as they find out that there is a fracture, they, they run to their sides. And what Paul is saying, no, 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 no. We all need to come and help them. Because you see, that's what takes place subtly. There is the, the group of Iodia. There is a group of Syntyche. And we have a cold war in the church. There is a cold war. Do you remember the cold war? A time of tension between the United States, leader of the capitalist country, and the Soviet Union leader of the socialist countries. That time of tension. Cold War. And suddenly you have that in the church. And suddenly that Cold War becomes a civil war. So that's why... No, no, no. He tells the whole church, no. Instead of joining sides and coming up with a Cold War that will become a civil war, no, you come and you help each other. The whole church must come and help the brothers and sisters who are having issues in their relationship and it's harming the unity of the church. And the great problem is that we live in a day that's all about professional help. We need the professionals. We need the experts. We need those with degrees. We need those with titles to help us. Our society is infected with all sorts of professional help when it comes to relationships. Counselors, therapists, psychologists, licensed clinical mental health experts. And we need these people. That's how most people see. We, we need professional help. And, and it's sad that the church in America is getting contaminated with this idea and thinking that the local church, the elders, they're not able to. 
And then we might say, oh, but that's biblical counseling. We have Christian counseling. And a lot of times, this Christian counseling, this biblical counseling that we see taking place around us, yes, it carries the garment of Christian counseling, but there's so much worldly philosophy inside those counseling. Many Christians avoid looking for help in the church because they think that the leadership of the church and the church herself is not well equipped to take care. Oh, now they're unable and incapable of taking care of this relationship. My situation, I need someone with a license. I need someone who knows what's going on. As if the Word of God is not sufficient to equip us, to help us, and to empower us to fix relationships. Contrary to this popular and prominent view of seeking professional help outside the local church, the Word of God, the Bible, is very clear that the Christian's local church is the primary and fundamental place where Christians ought to look for help. Christian counseling should take place in the Christian community. The local church is the place that will hold those people needing counseling accountable. And think about how the Lord Jesus loves His church and how He structured His church. And He ascended, Ephesians 4 says, and He ascended, and as He ascended, He gave gifts to the church. And one of the gifts that remains, besides the apostles and prophets, now it's the leadership, the pastors, also known as elders. And the title elders takes us back to the Old Covenant. And remember the role of the elders under the Old Covenant is to help people with issues. And now in the local church you have the elders, the pastors, and they are equipped with the Word of God. And in return they equip the church. And then the church is equipped with the Word of God to do what? The ministry, the service. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. The church members are now equipped with the Word of God to do ministry, to serve, to help. And one of the ministries in a local church is to counsel, is to help relationships that are having problems. The church members are to be involved in the building up of the whole body, which includes the restoration of members in conflict. Look what Paul says to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to do what? Direct your brothers and sisters to counselors outside the church. Is that what he says? You guys are filled of knowledge of good counselors outside the church. Help them. Give the address. Give the phone number. No. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goods, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct, able to counsel one another. The Greek word here, nuthetel, from where we get nuthetic counseling, 
great Jay Adams. It's right here. It implies counseling, admonition, instruction. So Paul sees the members of the local church in Rome as able and capable of doing what? Helping, counseling. Oh, but I thought that was for the professional, the experts. No, no, no. You have the Word of God dwelling within you. In Acts chapter 15, we also have another beautiful example of the church involved with conflict between Christians. And in Acts 15, you have first the, the Jerusalem Council, and then it moves after the Jerusalem Council, it comes towards the end of Acts 15, and, we talk, and Luke tells us about this sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Do you remember that? And the disagreement was so strong that they had to separate. And a lot of times we go to that passage and say, Do you see? Do you see? There is a time to disagree. But we forget to keep reading. And it says that the church in Antioch laid hands on Paul, blessing him. But they don't say that about Barnabas. It's interesting. So even in that sharp disagreement, the church is involved and their blessing comes upon Paul. We don't know exactly what took place, what Barnabas said, but we know that the church laid hands on Paul, blessing him. So even in that conflict, the local church is involved there. So Paul says, Help! Help these women. Sulambano, the word for help, implies a combined effort, strenuous work. This word is used for hunting, arresting. In Luke chapter 5, verse 7, the same word is used for the fishermen helping each other, dragging the nets with fish. It's the same word is used for the Jesus being arrested, the laying hands on Jesus. Paul used a very similar word earlier in chapter three, verse twelve, and he talks about Jesus catalambano, placing his hands upon him and seizing him. So the the picture here as we are moving through Philippians and we just heard about catalambano and now sulambano is that the church, the soon there, the together, the church together, like Jesus, is to lay his hands upon these two sisters and seize them and grasp them and say, no, we are going nowhere. Let's go to the cross, all of us. That's what Paul is saying here. The church is to help by arresting, seizing with hands full of mercy, the two parties that are running away, fighting against each other, and bring them. Just like the fishermen brought those nets there to bring these two sisters, where? To the cross. How is the church supposed to help those who are having conflict? Not by vomiting your personal preferences. 
Not by dispensing your great wisdom. No, we help by taking them to the cross. Philippians chapter 2. Well, I can see that the two of you are not agreeing here. So, so let's go to Philippians chapter 2 here. That's the, how the church is to help those having issues. And the interesting fact and very amazing thing is that the, church, the, the, the Bible doesn't give the church a list of fractures that must be brought up to the whole body. So we need like a triage. Do you know a triage? When you go to the hospital, there is a triage. And you see, oh, if you come with a headache, it's different if you come with an, a fracture in your legs. And if you come with a fracture in your legs, it's different from coming with a, ta- with a knife stab on your back. So there is a triage to see, okay, what we need to do here. That's why it's so important for the whole church to be praying for the leaders, for wisdom in how to shepherd the church. Most of, most of the problems, most of the fractures in the church, that's what takes place. Most of the fractures, the two members are able to fix them. Most of the time in the church, the two Oh, we have Abby and Hannah, they're having a problem. And the two of them, most of the time, they are able to fix the, yeah, <laughs> to fix, to fix the problem, the two of them, <laughs> with mercy. The violent hands, full of mercy. But sometimes the two cannot, and then they come to the leaders. That's, that's the role of the leadership. The, the elders, the pastors, the overseers of the church, the qualifications for the leaders of the church is what? They have to have a good grasp of the Word of God, and they also got to have a lifestyle in order to help them. A, a, a life that, just, just look at me, follow my example. But sometimes, even with the help of the Elders, it's not possible. And that's when the leadership needs wisdom to say, is that the time to bring to the church publicly? And say, beloved body of Christ, we have a problem here. Jeff and Luke, they're not agreeing the Lord, and we need the whole body now to help these brothers to agree in the Lord. But that's embarrassing. It should be. It's a good embarrassing. I never see that happening in a church. It's right here. Paul sees the need right here to name them, just like a doctor. If you broke a bone, you know, you go to the hospital, and what does the doctor do? A good doctor, he places his hands right there. And feel. Remember breaking, and I broke an ankle. The doctor placed his hand. Ah! That's exactly what Paul is doing here. And depending the bone that you break, you need more pressure. Sometimes you break a, a finger, that's easily repaired. But what happens if you have a massive fracture in your shoulder? You might need screws and a plate 
more pressure. And that's, that's why we need wisdom. Okay, where are we going with this fracture here in the relationship? Do we need the help of the whole church? And you see, the Bible doesn't give a list of when this happens, you do that. That's why sometimes some of you get frustrated with the elders. But we need wisdom. We need wisdom to know what to do here. We are not going to present every case to the whole body. But there will be cases when we need to present it. We, we are doing that out of our deepest love for these brothers, these sisters, and our deepest love for the work of Christ uniting us together. But we, we, need, we need the help of the body. Help these brothers. Help these sisters. Paul sees the local church as the only right and appropriate place for the process of reconciliation and biblical counseling. It's amazing. He does not tell Yodi and Syntek to look for outside help. But inside help. And let me just express a, a, a deep concern I have for so much what's taking place around us with Christian counseling, biblical counseling. And it is the lack of involvement with the local church. So much what is called biblical counseling does not involve the local, the local church of those being counseled. So my question is, how is that biblical? How is that Christian counseling? How is that biblical counseling? We are, when you are not involving... The group of people whom Jesus Christ Himself ordered to be the means of holding those people accountable. Here's what often takes place. We have a couple in the church. They're struggling in their marriage. They're members of the church. And in all good intentions, they hear about this other church in town that they have very good Christian counseling without talking to the church, the leaders of the church, they go set up an appointment and they start counseling. Do you know what happens? The leaders of the church have no idea what's taking place there. And they will not know. And I tell you by my own experience, because we have church members here who went to counselors outside the church and I contact the counselors to say, hey, I'm their pastor, I'm their elder. Can you please tell me what's going on? Nope, that's private. I cannot tell you what's going on in their lives. That's it. But you may say, but that, that helped me. God was merciful with you, but your experience is not above the Scriptures. Here's an example. Just an example. Rachel and I have been having issues in our marriage, have been having issues since we were in college. And then we hear that there is a church in town that has this wonderful ministry of Christian counseling. Instead of seeking the help of my elders, my church, I start going to that Christian counselor. You see, my elders... They have no idea what's going on. They have no idea what they're teaching me. 
the church has no idea. Was there sexual immorality? Was there a, a, a problem with stealing? Lying? I don't know. And nobody will know. But He helped us so much. Nobody knows. And that's what happens. And good intention. Good intention, but unbiblical. Besides that, by going straight to different counselors without first pursuing the help of your local church leaders, you are to some extent saying, sorry, but you are incapable and unable to help us. I have a book from John MacArthur, Biblical Counseling, together with the, the professors of the Master College. And William Good, he has a, a, a chapter on biblical counseling in the local church. He says, The local church is the instrument that Christ ordained to help believers grow into His likeness. It's the only organization or better organism He promised to build, sustain, and use. Counseling is an essential part of the local church's ministry as it disciples and helps believers mature in Christ's image. Counseling is the responsibility of each believer and its only rightful arena is the church. And I remember in seminary taking a wonderful course with Ted Tripp, pastoral counseling. Wonderful course. And that was one of the things he kept emphasizing. His Paul Strip brother, Ted Tripp. There is no way to perform biblical counseling with people who profess to be Christians, but they are not involved in their local church, and you don't have the local church involvement. And that's why some of you know, the people that you know, you have given my name, my phone number, people have contacted us, say, hey, we need, we need counseling. The first thing I ask, where are your pastors? Who are your pastors? Oh, so-and-so, do they know that you're going to come to me to get counseling? No. So you talk to them first. Yes, they do. So I want to let you know that I'll be contacting them. We are going to have a relationship and I'm going to tell you what's going on. Okay, good. Now we can. No, I don't have a local church. Do you profess to be a Christian? Yeah, yes, I'm, I'm a Christian. Find a church first. Because it's going to be pointless for us to be going through this and you have nobody to hold you accountable. You don't have a body of believers to hold you accountable. So, that's my concern with so much of biblical and Christian counseling around us. Is That's not biblical. Christian counseling that does not involve the local church, the pastors, it's not biblical. I'm sorry. And we see the togetherness being emphasized by Paul's use of the prefix soon. Soon. It's together. And you see, he says, I ask you also, true companion. You see, that we could do that in English. Co. Companion. Help. Another word, cooperate. The soon there. Help these women. 
who have, and you could say, co-fought. They fought together. Labor side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my wife, co-workers, my co-soldiers, with, with, together, together, co, co. You see, Paul is emphasizing that to remind them they, they are in this together. That's a whole local church enterprise. We are in this together. The help is together. We fight together. We suffer together. We rejoice together. And he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored. I don't like that word because of the, the Greek word. is the idea of striving side by side. Who have labor side by side with me in the gospel. And what is beautiful is that as Paul is exhorting publicly these two sisters who like two soldiers, they put their shoulders together and they're fighting together in the gospel. As Paul is exhorting them, he's also encouraging them. You see, by reminding them that they are fellow soldiers. He's inspiring them. And we can only picture, as Paul is calling Iodia and Syntyche, soon athlel. The images that are springing in their minds, in their hearts, as they are being reminded by Paul of what they were doing in the past. In the recent past, they were not fighting against each other, they were fighting together in the gospel. The pictures that Paul is bringing to their minds by using this word is the picture of, yes, some months ago, we were fighting side by side. We were helping each other, serving with Paul. We were praying together. We were holding hands together and praying. We were feeding Paul. We were giving together. That's what Paul is doing. So they cannot fight against each other. Their personal conflict in internal war is a contradiction to the gospel. You have fought side by side with me in the gospel. The gospel brought us together. So what is bringing us division now? If the gospel brought us together, what is bringing division now? And reminds them of the gospel, the wonderful news that God in Jesus has reconciled them together to Himself. So He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have fought side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement. We don't know who Clement is, but the church knew very well. And the rest of my fellow soldiers, my fellow Workers, the ESV has. He's just opening, as he's exhorting, he's opening his heart and reminding of who they are in Christ Jesus. And I think it's beautiful how he calls them as women who fought side by side with him in the gospel. His fellow soldiers. And I was thinking about it's Mother's Day today. And the wonderful, as Paul is talking to two women in the church, 
the wonderful women that we have in this church. Strong in the Lord. Gentle. But strong in the Lord. Women who love fighting in the gospel. I praise the Lord for the mothers in this church. Just like Paul says of Yodia and Syntyche, women who strive side by side in the gospel. Your praying, your giving, your service is striving side by side in the gospel. So I praise the Lord for a church of true Yodias and Syntyches who fight in the gospel. And also a church of Clements. We have a church of Clements. Men who serve. Fellow soldiers. So look at what Paul says. And Clement and the rest of the fellow workers in Philippi. That's a church of servants. That's a church of soldiers. Not a church of entertainers. People are not going there to be entertained. People are going there to serve. And that's the beauty of this church by God's grace. We have a church of soldiers. Early in the morning. Guys are early in the morning, setting up, practicing music, praying during the week. And Paul continues. He says, And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. That's just strange. Why is Paul bringing up the book of life right here? Why is he bringing the book of life? And the book of life is a major theme that runs through Exodus to Revelation. You can go home and study. The book of life runs through Exodus to Revelation. The book of life refers... To the register of God's covenant people. All His children have their names written there. And they will escape the final judgment. F.F. Bruce, he writes, At the last judgment, everyone not enrolled in the book of life is consigned to the fiery lake. This is the book of life of the slaughtered lamb. In which the names of the elect have been inscribed from the foundation of the world. And in Luke, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus mentions this book of life. Listen to this. Remember, He's sending His disciples to go and, and, and set people free from the power of demons and, and preach the gospel. And the disciples come back rejoicing that demons submit to their power, that the gospel was preached, that people were healed. And Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And I gave you power over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, all this power I gave you, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that these spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So let me ask you, if your name is written in that book, who wrote your name there? Who wrote your name in the book 
of life of the Lamb. The Lamb has a book of life with names written there. Who wrote the names there? That's very important. That's why Jesus is saying, do not rejoice in what you're doing right now. Because what you're doing right now is the fruit of my gracious, merciful election of you. And you see, the, the, it's always in the passive. Written, was written. Because somebody else did that. And then the question is, why, why are our names in that book? Why are our names recorded there? And the answer is very simple. Mercy. Grace. Mercy. Grace. And what Paul is doing here is reminding the Christians, your names are written in that book because of His mercy upon you. Why are you withholding mercy for, from others? That's all he's doing. Your name, their names are there. They are the objects of mercy. They are the objects of grace. Why are you being graceless? Why are you being merciless? The mercy of God in our lives, in placing our names there, must be reflected in a life that's merciful towards others. They are, Yodi and Sintiki, they are to look at each other and say, I don't deserve, I never will. Remember that beautiful hymn that we sing here? You don't deserve. So why are we arguing when both of us were objects of mercy? When both of us were the object of Jesus not looking at His own interests? Why are we now looking at our own interests? The source of our enrollment is the unfathomable love of the Father. The basis of our enrollment is the blood of the Lamb shed for our forgiveness. And the life-giving presence of the Holy Spirit powerful, powerfully implements God's electing grace in our lives. Our names are there because Jesus, go back to chapter 2, He emptied Himself. That's why we are there. Because of His mercy and His grace. Therefore, are we being merciful and graceful towards each other? It also reminds us, the book of life must remind us that we will spend eternity together. Either in heaven or in the new heavens and the new earth. But we will spend eternity together. So why don't we start working this out right now? The two sisters and all Christians, they have a magnificent destiny together. And they need to start enjoying, delighting in that destiny together right now and right here. Amen. So, my prayer is that we also would behold the book of life. Look at the book of life. And remember that we deserve the book of death. 
We deserve the book of hell. And by His mercy, by His grace, by His benevolence, compassion, He placed our names out of the book of death, out of the book of destruction, out of the book of hell, and He put our names in the book of life. By mercy and grace. So, instead of using and ploying our voices to argue and grumble against each other and criticize one another, we should be employing our tongues together to praise His mercy. That's what Paul is doing here. Remember. Remember. It's all about His mercy. Stop arguing, murmuring, complaining. Start praising Him for saving you. Instead of keeping what we love to do, is instead of keeping, beholding the book of life, we keep the book of records of wrongdoings towards one another. And Paul is saying, that must go to the garbage. The book that you keep all the records of wrongdoing towards you, that goes to the garbage. And start beholding the book of life where your name is there. So, that's my prayer. Is that we as a church would behold the mercy, the grace, the benevolence, the patience of God in putting our names in the book of life. And when I have an argument with someone, when the relationship is being broken somehow, is to be reminded and remind my brother or sister is your book, is your name in the book of life? Yes. Mine also. Do you deserve that? No. I don't deserve either. Why are our names there? Why are our names there? Because of the great mercy, kindness of Jesus Christ, who emptied himself. So what are we doing? What are we doing? Father, we thank you for your word is truly powerful to confront us, to comfort us, to change us. Oh, we ask You to help us. We know that conflicts will come. Broken relationships will take place. Some might be taking place right now. And we pray that You'd help us. Thank You for instructing us. Thank You for Your Word that's sufficient to equip us for every good work. Forgive us, O Lord, for thinking that Your Word is not enough. Thank You for Your wisdom in building a body so other members can help each other. Thank You for placing us together. And I pray that You would help us to preserve the unity that Jesus bought with His precious blood. Thank You for all these brothers and sisters. Thank You for Your mercy and Your grace upon our lives. Thank You for a church of soldiers, fellow soldiers, who fight side by side in the Gospel. Thank You for the Gospel, Lord. The beautiful, the joyful news that You rescued us for Your glory and to Your presence. So be with us. 
I pray for Your protection upon this church. Guard us. Guide us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.